Hello and welcome to this, the eighth episode of the Weekly Watch List, another pop culture podcast brought to you as always by the good people at MGA Traffic. I'm joined by another good person, Will Peters. How are you going? Hello, good afternoon, Sean. It is I'm afternoon, good. just excellent. Yeah. Uh, what have you been up to? We're into, I don't even know, the days are all blending together. I'm not even sure. Somebody said we're only a week down. I was like, what? <laughs> you serious? Uh. I think it's because those two lockdowns like blended together. Mm, we had oh, we had three, which we were like seventy percent of the way through, and then that became. Did you know, six week one was meant to finish this week. Yeah, week. yeah. So like we're one week into the second one, but we were kind of nearly finished with the first one. Yeah. Ah, <sighs> whatever. It's our life now. <laughs> this is how we live. <laughs> what have you been up to? Unforeseeable future. Um, I've just been staying in my own room, giving. The rest of my family space. Um, the way I see it, the less I see them, the less they have to deal with me. So it's good fun. It's. I think that speaks to the heart of all fa- familial relationships. Mm. I love you, but I'm sick of you. So, I never want to see you yeah, again. One, w- once upon a time, I would have been told off for being in my room so much, but the fact that I'm not in mum's face or dad's face makes them happy. It's so. like wedding crashes. Because I don't know what he's doing <laughs> in there. What's he doing in there? <laughs> uh, well... Basically, the premise of this, just for those who need a refresher or who haven't listened before, is Will and I get together once every week or so and have a chat about what we've consumed in the last week, um, our picks of the bunch for good, better or worse, um, inspired by Steven Soderbergh, who puts together a list of everything he consumes throughout the course of a year and then publishes it. We just do that, but we do it weekly. Um, who's uh, Is it me or are you starting this week? Oh, no. Poor connection. Will, are you there? There you are. Um, I thought you were just listening patiently, but you were frozen. No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, you're being very polite. About a Ricky Bobby. Um, classic 2006 film. Uh, you've got Will Ferrell, Sasha Baron Cohen, John C. Riley. Um, John C. Riley and Will Ferrell, that iconic duo that have made so many things together. Um, this has always been a you know close film to my heart. Um, growing up watching that one um, and any time I see it I'll generally give it a watch um, and it popped up on Netflix just on like the trending so chucked it on very much my humour and not um, not my girlfriend's humour I was sitting there the whole time just sniggering and giggling and you're doing that look at her thing you're doing that look at her going yeah. oh, huh? do you think knowing, less of me because I think this is hilarious like knowing the line that's coming up where it's like Who's the deal? I'm the best there is. Plain and simple. I wake up in the morning and I piss excellent. Like what? I was waiting the whole thing for that and I'm pissing myself looking at her. She's going, yeah, it's all right. One of my, like, oh. one of my bugbears with this film, whilst I do enjoy it, I do think it's quite good, is why didn't they call it, why didn't they spell it nights with a K? Yeah. <laughs> like I get it, Talladega Motor Speedway, like I understand, you know, nights. And I was thought... <laughs> I remember thinking about that, like when it came out, I was like, it's just a little thing, but Nights with a K, I don't know, just as a title, but it is very good. It's, <laughs> um, does it have a few too many of those scenes where they're, it's kind of the birth or the start of the ad lib, the riff? Let's just see, let's just see, we'll just keep the camera rolling, we'll keep it rolling, yeah. let's just see what we get. <laughs> like there's the... Um, <laughs> There's the Jesus bit where they're yeah. like, I like to imagine Jesus is wearing a tuxedo t-shirt. <laughs> Singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner, yeah. 
<laughs> like there's that, that dinner table scene is probably the best example. Um, yeah. And I just, I remember my big takeaway too from it was being, you know, we're obviously quite, quite close uh, bedfellows culturally with Britain. So, so we obviously had more of an awareness of Ali G and yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen and the like. I just remember uh-huh. feeling like he was, I don't know, they like muzzled him a bit. I just remember, th- uh, I just remember thinking, I just remember thinking, he's the funniest guy in this movie. If you're prepared yeah. to let him be, but yeah, like Jean Girard is already a pretty, um, like, out there character, and you can see that they're like, oh, we just may- we might just yeah play it a bit safe, but he's still like, <laughs> I like what he goes, ah, he's, you yeah. made me spill my macchiato, <laughs> <laughs> and like he's already you know this really gay racing car driver but and there's Eddie's like a raging homosexual but like Formula, you can't uh, show it too much because then the film would get weird yeah it just I don't know it just felt to me like you've got this guy who's an unbelievable like comedic force and yeah. it's I don't know it's almost felt as though they didn't want him to overshadow Will 100%. Ferrell so they yeah. kind of dialed him back or I don't know there's one of those would be interesting to see what they shot versus what's in the movie Mm. <laughs> but it was definitely, it's, definitely. yeah it's an interesting one it's obviously on the back of uh, Adam McKay funnily enough who makes serious movies now um, they did Anchorman and he was on Saturday Night Live with Will Ferrell or wrote for Saturday Night Live I should say so they obviously had a really close relationship and then this was sort of their big budget follow up to what they'd been doing to that point yeah um, so yeah Again, Talladega Nights, great, like, easy film to watch if you have that sort of sense of humour. Um, highly recommend for anyone that hasn't seen it. If you haven't seen it, though, I kind of feel like, what have you been doing the last couple of years? Yeah, if you were alive when um, it came out. Yeah. It, it, it would be surprising that it hasn't crossed your radar at some point. Mm, definitely. Um, but, yeah, again, <laughs> first watch, easy watch. Um, nothing amazing to report. You just know what you're getting. I like when, uh, when, um, Cal Norton Jr. Suggests is, you know, maybe, maybe I could win, you know, once. <laughs> and he's like, even then, how would I win? And they have this sort of funny exchange. And then he goes, yeah, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just forget about it. He goes, yeah, never mention it again. <laughs> and, was like, and then Ricky Bobby's like, you can't have two number ones. And Cal's like, yeah. Because that'd be 11. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually got one of the great, like, comedic turns, like cameos from Gary Cole, who who plays his dad. Yeah. Um, Ricky Bobby's old man, who's, like, very good. Like, he's just classic. Gary Cole was sort of going through that renaissance where he'd done dodgeball. You know, he was the announcer in mm. dodgeball, and he does this, and he's uh-huh. he's just doing a little bit more work, and people are kind of going, this guy's just really good. Like, if you, it doesn't matter how you <laughs> use him, where you chuck him in. You know, like he's teaching him to, you know, drive with a, a cougar in the car and yeah. um, the, the bit where Ricky, you know, <laughs> Ricky recounts his mantra, if you ain't first, you're last, and his dad goes, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> yeah, what do you mean? I live my life by that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite good. What would you give it out of 10? Um, I would give it a strong... Very high sevens. Okay, high like sevens. Yeah, I think it's, it's a six point six on IMDb, but I feel like that's 
on IMDb, you've got such a wide range of viewers that mm. it's going to be a bit lower. Yep. Yeah, you've got bookends, don't you? You've got people that are like giving it nines and tens and then people that are giving yeah. it threes. Ones. Yeah. Yeah, I, I reckon, to be honest with you, I reckon like a 6.6 on the whole probably isn't too far off the mark. I didn't think it was as good as Anchorman, but no, it's still no like it is quite, it's still quite good. And for that, that era of comedy, it's sort of on or around the mark. Like it's not as good as a wedding crashes yeah. or like an old school, something like that, but it's still, mm. it's still quite good. It's still quite watchable. Still, a, you know, an important film in the oeuvre, shall we say, Will, of uh, Will Ferrell <laughs> films. Um, and if, I think it was actually, it would have been his first significant, it would have been his first team up with John C. Riley. Probably, yeah. It's, look, it's, early, it's pretty early days. So it was six. I just did Step Brothers after that. Mm. Did you ever see their... Uh, <laughs> I, just, I just saw a picture of the bit where he's running around like in his undies. Yeah. He's like, I'm Tom Cruise. <laughs> I'm on fire. <laughs> 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 uh, what does he say when he, he sells his uh, the front windshield to Wonder Bread? He goes, or, what is, or, or something. He sells it to something. He goes, I, he goes, I can't see. He goes, but I do love whatever the brand is. It's quite good. I don't mind it. It's watchable. Oh, I can't find it. Yeah. All right. Talladega <laughs> Nights. Still reckon they missed uh, a trick. Yeah, that's my that's my top one. Mate, still reckon they yeah, missed a trick. Not naming it Knights with a K. Uh, my first or pick. Thatcher. Well, yeah, no, and that's the other thing as well. Um, I actually remember before we move on seeing an interview with um, Michael Clark Duncan, who's obviously no longer with us, um, who played uh-huh. the crew chief. Um, yeah. And he'd done, I think he was on Conan O'Brien, and they were talking about, like, yeah. what, what have you got coming next? What if, what What's up up next for you? And he mentioned this film, He whatever he was promoting, he said, oh, I've just done a, a comedy, Will Ferrell, blah, 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 um, Sasha Baron Cohen, etc." And he said, he goes, oh, I guess you'll... He goes, I've never laughed harder in my life. He goes, on the mm. set, he goes, like, oh, just, you know, headaches and tears and, like, stuff from laughing so hard. He goes, oh, it's just – and he, he was wrapping up Sasha Baron Cohen particularly. He said, he goes, oh, he's just yeah. – how many takes we've ruined, you know, obviously having to be in the shot and whatnot. He goes, unbelievable. So it was sort of – that obviously sets a very high bar. But then you watch yeah. it and I was like, oh, I wonder if they kind of just cut his performance a bit because they didn't want him – yeah, I don't know, politics. Politics will in Hollywood, not never good, never want to be involved yeah. in them because someone always loses. Um, yeah. My first pick for this week is an interesting one. Um, Please. I had to squint when I saw the picture of it because I was thinking, I was like, is that, is that Seth Rogen? So I watched Seth Rogen's latest film, which debuted on HBO Max. Um, it's like a HBO Warner Brothers type production called An American Pickle. An American pickle. Yeah. Tight 88-minute runtime with credits. So it's like an 83-minute film um, based on a short story from 2013. And it's actually, remember we were talking a couple of weeks ago about these streaming platforms making films that are having those like 100-minute runtimes? Because they are, yeah. you're watching them on TV, they're competing with Premiere or Prestige TV. So the runtimes are kind of contracting. Yeah. A couple of years ago, runtime that cinemas fucking ballooned Transformer mm. movies running three hours. And then now, like, yeah, the legit. streaming networks have gone the other way. They're like, people don't have three hours to watch a t- show at home. No. They just don't. So this is a product yeah. of that sort of that evolution. 88 Minutes, an American Pickle. I'll try to explain the premise as best I can. He plays a, like, a Polish 
immigrant. He's a Jewish guy living in like in the early 1900s on the, in, yeah. his, in his homeland. And he meets and falls in love with this girl and they decide to move to America. They come to New York and they settle in New York and he gets a job at a pickle factory. And just through pure right. hysterical hijinks and happenstance, he ends up falling into a vat and being um, brined for 100 years. And when he's <laughs> uncovered in 2020, he's like fully preserved. He's been perfectly preserved in this vat of brine, pickle brine, for 100 years. So he's, did you ever see the film Encino Man? Yeah. It's very similar to Encino Man. He, he basically gets right. basically not unthawed like Brendan Fraser was there as a caveman, but he basically comes to in modern-day Brooklyn, but he's a early 20th century Polish immigrant. Yeah. His only uh, living sort of heir or family member is also played by Seth Rogen, uh, and he ends up moving, <laughs> moving in with him. It sounds like I'm describing like a funny or die sketch, but this is a legitimate movie. It has been made, has been yeah. released. Um, and then what you get from there is present-day Seth Rogen is basically like really struggling to, to make his life mean anything. He's trying to devise this app and it's not being successful. Uh, Yorma Tacone has a brief cameo, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which was funny to see him pop up. But they end up having a rivalry because the early 19th century uh, Seth Rogen um, ends up starting his own like pickle business, selling like artisan pickles right. on the side of the Brooklyn street. And all these hipster doofuses think he's like the new great thing, selling like pickles <laughs> out of dirty jars, these pickles that he picks out of a bin and then sells in these yeah. disgusting jars. All these Brooklyn hipsters start thinking, oh, this is like, this is the best thing ever. He's like the go-to man. So anyway, <laughs> he starts up this pickle business. They end up sort of having a bit of a rivalry. Um, it's all a bit predictable. It's all a bit silly and sort of nonsensical, but in a in a weird sort of way, like the whole fish out of water thing kind of works. Like it, it's not yeah. you're not at any stage you're not watching this thing thinking this is great. Oh, this is great. Mm-hmm. But you're watching it kind of going, yeah, it's all right. Like it's I don't have any compulsion to switch it off. Like I'm I'm happy to see where this goes, even if I'm pretty sure I know where it's going to go. Um, but you can yeah. you could totally imagine how this idea like started out. That if you look at the poster, you'll see it. You're like, oh, he gets yeah. this this guy like you know gets thawed out, but he's like, they all think he's just a normal hipster dude because he he's got a beard and he dresses like a you know like an old oldie, ye old times immigrant man. You're like, no, because he is. So it's the stranger yeah. comes to down the man out of time. Um, it's it's a bit yeah it's a strange like I just sort of had to stop myself briefly then because I thought am I doing it justice and then I thought to myself I really can't do it better justice than I have 19th century mm. man falls into a vat of brine at a pickle factory and then he's woken up a hundred years later that's the fucking movie that's the entire film it goes for 88 minutes it's totally fine <laughs> it's not let's not kid ourselves I'm not going to give it a huge rap. It's totally fine. Mm. It's totally watchable. It's got a bit of heart to it as well. The the, the rivalry. Has it got any of that classic Seth Rogen like? <laughs> oh, like a little bit, but or it's that a, kind of humor. Or a, like... li- a tiny bit, but it's actually the present day Seth Rogen is actually like a little bit nasty, right? Because he starts to get jealous that his 
great-great-grandfather or whatever he was, he starts to get jealous that this guy's like literally just turned up and is already more successful than he is. So he starts to try to sabotage him and what. And you're kind of going, I get that you have to to create the drama necessary to propel this movie, but at the same time, the heart that the movie has is actually quite good. There are bits in the movie that are actually quite heartfelt and sincere and you go, well, all this silly hijinks to create the drama to propel the plot. Yeah, just like, I don't know, like there's not really a defence for it, even though you're inevitably going to come to the conclusion, I've been wrong, I shouldn't have ever done that, I shouldn't have ever hurt my great-great-grandfather like I did. We, we understand what's coming, it's telegraphed. But at the same time you're like, yeah, but you shouldn't have just, like there's no real defence for what you were doing. So it's a hard... How did Sid Vat get from Poland... No, no, so he was in America. So he came to America. He was in... Oh, to work. Right, yeah, gotcha. so he was in Brooklyn, and the only place he could get a job at was a pickle factory. Right, gotcha. And he, he's, yeah, basically falls into the vat, and at the very moment, Jack Napier in Batman style, he falls into the vat of pickles. Some of the foreman comes on the site and says, we're closing. We're out of business, we're shutting it. So then they, they cover over the, the vat, and he's stuck in it. For a hundred years, don't think too much about it. <laughs> don't don't interrogate the science. It's not asking you to do that. It would be unfair to do that. Um, so, an American pickle. It's an. I think it'll be destined to become like minor Seth Rogen. This little quirky film that he did that ends up on a streaming service as a bit of an exercise in um, you know twenty twenty of all years is the perfect year to do that stuff because we need content and these services need content. So they obviously buy it, yeah. chuck it on here. Geez, how does it go? I don't know. It's just something for people to consume and move on. A little bit like a pickle. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give it a real lukewarm. Watch it if you want. Your life won't be any worse off if you don't. Uh, you're not missing yeah. anything super substantial. But at the same time, it's it's an interesting little film to observe, if only because what it says about the current state of movie making and movie making for streaming platforms. So that's my pick number one for this week. Lovely. Excellent. Um, well, my pick number two, this is something that's um, quite, you know, used to be quite fond to your heart. You used to be pretty active on Twitter about it. Um, it's, it's it's that time of year. I'm excited. Um, it's actually season, Sean. Oh, no. <laughs> I did used to be big into it, but you know what happened? Uh, Before you go on, you know what happened what? with it? Tell me. It's like all shows yeah. like that. So they've got a short shelf life. We spoke about it with Big Brother in that yeah. you age out of the concept, but there's always going to be people in the target demographic. There's always going 100%. to be that demographic. Even if I'm no longer watching it, someone replaces me, etc. It's a circle of life. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, but it was a bit like Gossip Girl. I don't know if we've had this conversation in the past where you get to a certain point, I really liked Gossip Girl, but not long into its run, you get to a certain point where you're like, every fucking episode's the same. (laughs) The characters split up in various A and B plots and then they come together at like a gala dinner or a birthday party or a charity function and that's when the shit goes down. Usually because of a misunderstanding because somebody just didn't tell someone else a piece of information they should have just told them. But Bachelor's (laughs) like that. Every episode's the same. So I've been watching uh, Bachelor in Paradise um, with my girlfriend. The current season of Bachelor Four has just started. Um, but I basically watched, I don't know, there's probably three or four episodes a week. I was watching maybe one to two. 
Um, so, you know, relatively keeping keeping touch of what's going on. Um, but this this show, I don't think, has many more years left in it. Um, I think The Bachelor and stuff can keep going, but with all the people that are left from this show, you, it's just a lot of um, a lot of no names and uh, a lot of kind of they're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Can you um, tell me where, what was the yeah. deal? So I've 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 only watched in passing like a couple of Bachelor in Paradise episodes. I don't really get the concept. They put a bunch of sexy singles on an island resort and just hope that sparks fly. But there Basically, was a, yeah. there was an ad <clears throat> that ran about you know the tattooed guy. There was some. You know, yeah. oh, extraordinary revelations that we're going to rock paradise. And I was like, mate, I'm not mm. watching that. Don't think that this ad is going to con me into watching that. However, if the opportunity presents to talk to someone, being you, who does know what's happening, <laughs> what was the idea, what was the revelation that shocked that tattooed man wearing the glasses that he doesn't need to wear? So basically, I don't know, a couple months prior all the contestants from the last couple of bachelors and bachelorettes, they're all, they're all obviously friends. They meet up in certain social events and cliques. Um, they all went to, there's a bunch of them that all went to Bali and this guy with all the tats, um, he was going out with one of the, an ex contestant, um, at the time. And he, he supposedly, um, cheated on her while they were there. <gasps> um, so then this girl has also come into paradise to then, Kieran gets all up and about, but then Kieran has, during Paradise, um, basically slept with anything with a heartbeat. So, um, and then he's before, and then he'd broken up with this girl a week before he came into Paradise. So there was this big furor about, um, you know, people breaking bro codes and girl codes, and there was just there are no bro codes. It's a TV show. I know, I know. Um, there was just a whole, you know, two weeks basically of high school fights um, in an adult environment. Did you ever watch um, X on the Beach? <laughs> yeah, that that is dog shit. That's terrible. Like... <laughs> but there was there was a guy I can't ever remember his name who was on X on the Beach, and he had, you know, man whore, man about town, idiot. But yeah. his attitude towards the whole like drama thing was just brilliant. He was like. All these girls would come in and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, I dated him, or I you know spent time with him, or whatever." But he, like, they tried to make him jealous, or they'd get with someone to make him. He just didn't give a shit. Yeah, it was hilarious because he was like, "We're not together. Like we we dated for a little bit, or we had a fling, or whatever. We aren't together." So he his attitude was magnificent. Like all these people, guys and girls, are trying to make him jealous and get under his skin. He was like, "I don't care." It was just brilliant. <laughs> and it was just that same thing where you're going. Why are you trying to get back at some idiot on a TV show? Oh, it's just, I get that they're not really, it's being played up and whatnot, but you do worry about these people. Yeah. And like, I think there's so many, and even like I've, the, what's it called again? Um, Far More to Wife has started in the last couple of weeks. And my, my mum and sister are pretty big into that. And there's girls that are like, I don't want to be like, you know, put to the side. And it's like, you're literally one of four girls in a dating show. You need to forget that you're like, you know, the be all and end all. You're on a show. You're on a game. This is a game. This is essentially a game show for love. You haven't been kidnapped and put in this environment. You applied for it. You interviewed for it. You were vetted you heavily. You signed up for it. 
literally you signed a contract to be on the show. Don't act surprised that there are other people here. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so, Farber um, wants a wife is like it's <laughs> it's the most wholesome of them. It is, isn't it? It's bachelor, but bachelor yeah. at like in a school zone, 40 forty k's an hour. <laughs> with yeah, with normal like normal girls, normal men. It's really relaxed environment. Men. Yeah. Um, but Bachelor in Paradise, um, you know, it's, it's on its last legs. It might have one more season next year after these two Bachelor and Bachelorettes. Um, but, uh, who, the current Bachelor ex-Survivor contestant, Lockie. Um, so I kind of put my eyes over the, uh, over the premiere last night whilst I was watching the footy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean... Considering who he is, he's a you know he travels around the world supposedly. Um, I would like to think he's not going to he's not going to get one of these stupid bimbos that the last couple of seasons have got. Um, it looks like there's a couple more wholesome women in the house, um, but that's just from you know. He should just do a honey badger. <laughs> yeah, well he has to deal with all the COVID stuff supposedly, and then I heard him on the radio yesterday going on about. Um, about how he thinks he might made the right decision, blah blah blah. So I don't know. He it might not even work out. But from all reports, this was the most successful Bachelor in Paradise season. There was three commitment ceremonies. Three. Um, yeah. So should go on the Daily them, Mail. See if any of them are still together. <laughs> I think one is up. Um, one's up already because this is shot like nine months ago or something. Um, so one of them's done. The other one's living in Tasmania with this other this other woman, and then another one, I think it's still relatively all right, hopefully. Um, but, yeah, it's special in paradise, nothing amazing. Um, the people that love it, they, of course, love it and will sit down and watch it every night. But um, for me, it's any show like this is just an, something awesome to watch with Twitter open on the side where you can just see other people's reactions and get lots of funny gifts and um, and statements from random people. So, what, uh, what channel is Bachelor in Paradise on? Uh, it was on Channel Ten, same as See, um, oh wait, The Bachelor and The Master. What channel? What channel's Big Brother on now? That was on nine, no seven. See, what a missed opportunity. Okay, we're going to fix both shows right now. Merge them. Brisbane Lions, Fitzroy style. Brisbane Bears, Fitzroy style, merge them because they're both dead, you know, to get like in on on their own merits, they're just going nowhere. But put them together yeah. and you've got like Bachelor in Paradise in the Big Brother house on, you know, every night type thing. That's the show. Yeah, but then they're kind of already doing it. They can't go anywhere in this place. There's literally they're on a resort. That's all they do. Like they can't go anywhere but the resort. I get it, but it so just takes a minor of, tweak. You just put them in the house. Yeah. And then it's have them the fly. The last couple episodes before, like, you know, the finale week, um, everyone's obviously coupled up. So, like, they were doing, like, challenges where they had to make, like, um, you know, like a, a makeshift raft and, like, go around a boy and come back. And you can tell the producers are like, ah, shit. Like, we, there's no content anymore because everyone's in love or everyone's supposedly in love and coupled up. So um, there was a, probably a couple of days at the end there which were pretty um, pretty, uh, pretty boring, but 
And then, you know, there was a handful of people that left and said, let's go. We don't need to do this commitment ceremony. We can do it on the outside. And they went together. They always um, talk like they're just... in prison. They always talk like, <laughs> they always talk like they're in Shawshank. It's like, once we get out, <laughs> we'll be together. <laughs> you go, what? And it, this will work in the real world. In this the will real... work in the real You've world. You've been here for three days. <laughs> You're my forever. Like, what? Shut yeah. up. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> Psycho. Yeah. Um, so, Bachelor in Paradise, um, I think the probably, I don't know, fourth or fifth season of the Australian one, um, on its last legs. But, you know, happy to watch it when there's nothing, literally nothing else on. Are you committed to giving The Bachelor itself a go? Um, oh, after this festival of football, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll more than happily sit down and watch it because I don't mind Lockie. Survivor man, we all know I am a big Survivor fan. Um, so I'll, you know, I'll happily watch it because Maddie and her mum are all about it. So I'm sure I'll end up watching it, and I'm not going to complain. Um, I think but, it's an interesting yeah. one. Just with, <laughs> actually, no, I won't say that because I just can't be bothered explaining it. Um, so Bachelor <laughs> and Bachelor in Paradise. Okay, they were in my wheelhouse, and they might be once again, but. I don't know, like there's got to be, there's always this intangible, like whatever hooks you for that season. I don't like whatever it might yeah. be. It sounds ridiculous, but whatever it might be, mm. it hooks you. And just the last couple, I just haven't had that hook. Yeah, well, the last, the all the publicity for Bachelor in Paradise before the season started was all about this one girl called Abby. She's like 23, 24. She, caused the, she came second in the last version of The Bachelorette and she was like, you know, this, this, sexual cast that just wanted that was all like way too showing too much doing too much and she she got eliminated on the first night of bachelor in paradise so everyone's just like oh, oh this is okay. what i'm watching for <laughs> and like she was doing all of the presses like everything before she was on the project before saying yeah this is a great season blah 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 and she was literally there for like two hours and goes home that's classic TV producer misdirection there. They were like, geez, all these other idiots, no one cares about these knobheads. Go, but Abby, can you just come on? Just do a couple of days. couple of days, yeah. Abby, and then you can leave. We'll let you go. We just need somebody with a bit of pizzazz who the audience give a shit about. Legit. Now, now everyone's an influencer, so we move on and <sighs> live, keep living life. Disgusting. All right. Number two, I don't know about that being one of your stronger picks, but... No. It is what it is. My, I consumed it. So. My second watch of this week, and actually I started, and this is the purpose of this show in a way, like where you start and where you end. Mm-hmm. So on the weekend, I found myself watching um, Field of Dreams was on Foxtel. So I found myself watching yeah. a bit of that, which is a great, great movie. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll talk about that one. Or maybe I'll talk about Field of Dreams because it's, it's awesome. And... You know, it's it's one of those films that no matter how many times I see it, you know, everyone's got one or two films that do it. But there's, have you have you seen Field of Dreams? Uh, I'm gonna have to quickly. Kevin Costner, um, you know, um, builds a baseball diamond in his cornfield at the behest of a weird disembodied voice, and then ends up listening to that voice for a period of however long, quite a while, based on the passage of time in the film. Um, and it's this really wholesome sort of slice of Americana no, and it's a really beautiful film. And what is what is eventually revealed to be the purpose of this sort of quest of self-discovery that he's been on at the end is one of the most beautiful reveals 
like ever in a film. Like when the, the whole film kind of wraps itself up in the last five minutes, what was mm-hmm. the purpose of him building the baseball diamond and blah, 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 blah. When it, when it reveals the why, it's just the most beautiful – and, like, I'm not, not – you know, I actually, I get quite choked up whenever I see this, this particular film and this particularly this bit of the film. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll talk mm-hmm. about Field of Dreams because it's a really, really good movie and it's a f- sensational climax – which does the whole story justice and brings it full circle. And then that sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole of I end up watching Little Big League, a baseball film made in 1994 about a kid who takes control of the uh, Minnesota Twins, which is a great like baseball fantasy film. And then I was like, oh, maybe I could talk about that because that's a really fun movie. And then you just get on a baseball tear. I think that baseball is the best yeah. sport. It's the best sport to make movies out of because the drama in a, well, the drama in a baseball game, in a baseball season – breathes there's so much there, yeah. there are moments where you can you can play with tempo you know the big the home uh-huh. run or the big defensive play or the double play or whatever but then you've also got individual you know moments of individual brilliance that shine and give each character you know their, their heroic moment but then i finally yeah. settled on flicking through this is a film i've seen many many times and i absolutely love it to death and i thought people have seen field of dreams people have seen major league people have seen a league of their own, Moneyball, to a lesser extent, yeah. stuff like Rookie of the Year and Little Big League, The Sandlot, etc. And they're all great films. I love them. Love them to death. But a film that a lot of people probably haven't seen, whether they like baseball or not, is a film made in 2001 by Billy Crystal called 61. So this was made for television. It was made for HBO. And it stars Barry Pepper and Thomas Jane, who've gone on to do a number of things people, if they don't know them by name, would certainly know their faces. And basically, yeah. Billy Crystal, mad New York Yankees fan, has made a love letter to his youth supporting the New York Yankees. And it's an absolutely brilliant little movie. Centers uh, on or around the 1961 Major League Baseball season in which two New York Yankee players, Mickey Mantle, played by Thomas Jane, and mm-hmm. Roger Maris, played by Barry Pepper, pursue the league's um, single season home run record which was 60 at that point in time and it was held by Babe Ruth so classic legendary New York Yankee so the film basically charts these two Yankee stars one of them Mickey Mantle like an all-time great pursuing the great Yankee Babe Ruth his home run record and then the the machinations in the press and in the public about like if that was happening here and two guys were hunting down 100 goals in a season playing for the same team, like you could think about it, the fervour would be enormous. The like, who's going to do it? Who's going to get there first? But what happened in 1961 in New York and in particularly, you know, in America, but amongst the fan base and amongst the media was this real split of not wanting Roger Maris to do it. If anyone's going to break the record, it's got to be a true Yankee. It's got to be Mickey Mantle. And everyone, yeah. rather than acknowledge, geez, you've got two guys on the same team just doing unprecedented things, it became this really incredible personal sort of battle for Roger Maris to just want to play baseball, just to play his best, just to do his best for the team. But it was undermined at every turn by, geez, we don't really want you to break it. We want the other guy to break it. And what yeah. it's a great, great um, portrait of sort of like superstardom and a great portrait of a of when it comes to sports of like Roger Maris is having a fantastic season, but no one's happy about it. 
And yeah. he himself is just a normal guy from, I think he's from North Dakota, I think the, the film says. Um, and it's just a really, really enjoyable little film. Baseball movies of in and of themselves are always, you know, good fun when done well. And this is a really, really excellently done sort of off-Broadway, so to speak, film about real-life events told um, pretty accurately that, you know, every every one of these based on a true story, you know, films will take some yeah, liberties. But a little bit of mayo. A little bit of mayo, but but on the whole, this film is done really truthfully and, and you know, tells a lot of the stories as Billy Crystal, um, without off the top of my head, I don't know how old he would have been in 1961, early, early teens, you know, 10 to 15 maybe, but yep. who lived it and enjoyed it and here he is making a film about his heroes as he remembers it, as he lived it in the summer of 1961 and this remarkable sort of um, home run chase by these two guys who should have been adored, but only one of them was. And like I said, mm. really, really great little watch. Um, perhaps a little bit tricky to find if people are interested in watching it, but if you are interested in watching it, just reach out to us on Twitter and I'm sure we'll be able to hook you up. But um, yeah, 61 with legally, an asterisk. Legally, yeah, legally. 61 with an asterisk, and that's um, basically around Babe Ruth's record was 60, and a lot of the angst throughout the 1961 season was that they'd added eight games to the schedule. So Babe Ruth hit his 60 home runs in 154 games, whereas these guys had 162 games to break the record. So without wanting to spoil history, it's a matter of history. It's the title of the movie. Roger Maris eventually does break the record, but he breaks it in 158 games or something. So the the determination for the major, major league office was if one of the players breaks the record um, in or under 154 games, then they get the record. If they don't, um, the record is recorded with an asterisk. So the title of the film is 61 with an asterisk because even though Roger Maris ended up breaking the record, um, he broke it after Babe Ruth, uh, therefore his record was recognised with an asterisk. So, And that's once again the politics of was this done because for the right reasons? Was it done because you know, people didn't think Roger Maris was a worthy enough holder of the record? And um, it's yeah, really, really well done film, really well told. Uh, well directed, well acted. Um, genuinely can't recommend it anymore for people who either like sports films, like baseball, or um, just want to watch a good movie. So big, big mm. thumbs up for me on sixty one. Nice. What's it got on IMDb? Uh, Seven point eight. It's just a great film. Like, and it's one of those films that I actually heard someone mention it um, the other day after I'd watched it. Funnily enough, these this like a podcast. And they were talking about like sports movies, and, and one of the guys brought it up and said, "This is one of those little movies that if you've seen it, you've seen it because you have an interest in whether it be the Yankees or baseball, baseball movies, um, and you probably really liked it. And if you haven't seen it, mm. it's because you don't know it exists. Yeah, legit. You know, made for I HBO, made for TV. Great, great film. Hmm. Well, looks like a uh, one I'll put on put on my list. Bullshit." We all know I, that. I do have a list. We all know that list just goes in the bin. <laughs> I got an email today saying um, your files are yet to be downloaded. <laughs> yeah, well, let's be honest. All, all, I, all I needed was your review, and you just said it was another movie. So you pig. <laughs> um. So that is your number. What two? Two. Three? Two. Two. Um. So 
My number three is uh, is I've started watching the fifth season of a show that I've been watching over the last couple of years. Um, it's basically I think it, the first one was maybe twenty seventeen, the first season. Um, but it's a Netflix show called Last Chance You. Um, have Never you heard, heard of it. How many seasons? Have got it. five. I, I reckon you'll like it. Five. It's on, it's on to its fifth at the moment, but basically, um, Netflix follow around um, some junior con, junior college, like community college football teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they're in Mississippi the first two seasons, in Kansas um, uh, season three and four, and then the fifth season they've just started is based based in Oakland, California. Um, and it basically just kind of documents their journey in um, playing uh, Duke level football, uh, which is which means basically junior college. Um, and the first two seasons are heavily kind of based on these two coaches that are really harsh and really kind of um, they've come from kind of a, either huge football background or they've come from like a troubled um, kind of upbringing, and then they've found football and become these football basically coaching miracles. Um, but the fifth season just started, yeah, based in Oakland, California. And I, I love this show. I, my family knows that, you know, once a year, basically they'll, or like, you know, twice a year they'll release a, a new season and I'll smash out the first, the, like the season in oh, probably two or three cities. Um, and they're not all, you know, all seasons aren't um, super, they're not super successful and, you know, they might, not always going and win the title, but um, they'll come back again. And there's a lot of stories of um, of kids that are in these JUCO programs um, that either make it to the league because it it just it documents really well the um, the struggle of um, kind of if you don't get into a decent college in America, how kind of screwed your life might be. Mm. Um, and there's you know you, they. Like they're all there's characters, obviously, but they're all real people with real issues and real stories. And you know, there's kids that you know grew up with no father, and then all they kind of know is crime. But then they find football, and then they make it in. And there's a, probably um, out of both the two first schools, there's probably I guess six or seven that might have made it to the league. Um, and without the help of the show, they mightn't have been picked up. Um, but and there's you know and there's Obviously, the, everyone develops these relationships with the coaches, um, and then the coaches obviously pick up a bit more media, and there's um, kind of education counsellors or like guidance counsellors that get roles in the show as well, and everyone kind of learns to love them and find them really kind of like they're they the they're, com- they're the complete opposite of the coach. Um, and yeah, I just I really really enjoy this documentary, and again, it's a sports. Um, well, it's a series, I guess, documentary series. Um, I personally think you'd love it, Sean. I don't know how much sounds, you love NFL, but oh no, I just like it. Sounds it does sound interesting. It sounds intriguing. The the idea of, I think that you know you can sometimes take for granted in those less fortunate, you know, areas and in America as well, where it's it's such a rat race daily that those sports are you know whether it be basketball or football or um, baseball or whatever it might be, like they're a ticket out. You know, they're they're a ticket. They're a ticket. Yeah. Whether it be, um, however far down the scale you want to go, whether it be a ticket 
to a college education, a free college education via a scholarship, mm-hmm. or you know beyond that again, a ticket to enormous riches that you know set you and your family up if you can make it pro. Um, what it does too more than anything for these guys that you mentioned earlier that you know might have displaced family situations or the like, these coaches become surrogate like fathers. Legit, and half, half the team don't don't have fathers, or they've grown up without that be, that father figure. And they need a strong male like presence in their life to to guide them and put an arm around them, and 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 it might be as simple as in psychological. You know, we're not psychologists, but to um, like validate as well. Like you know, you've done a good job. Well done. You know, mm. you played really well today. Or you know, I'm I'm going to be at your game. I'm going to be watching you play. Or something that is so so much a given and a taken for granted for so many people to, for the, for these kids to have that, um, yeah. is, is so big. I mean, there was a doco made several years ago now, um, here in Australia called three boys dreaming, um, and centered around three young indigenous kids. One of the whom was Chris Yaron and oh, basically wow. about their journey through sort of underage prospect, you know, um, talent pathways and the like. And, they're all painted as having various, you know, not of their own doing, but but various impediments to them actually reaching their potential. And it's it was a really, really, really well done doco. I'm pretty sure it was on ABC or SBS. And um, you know, there's a really interesting part where Chris Yaron, when he was a kid, he was 14 or 15, he came to Melbourne for the first time to play in like an exhibition tournament or an exhibition match. And it was funny. He had like a really, he had a crazy moustache. Like he had a really. Like he was 15 or something, but he had a really full-on moustache. And he played on the MCG yeah. and he was best man on the ground and blah, blah, blah. But his mother um, was speaking about it. She said, I was really nervous because when he went away for this program or when he joined, I'm just trying to get my my um, timeline right, he went to a school called Clontarf, which is all about basically the kids get an education, but in, in exchange for that, you know, they play football, but they can't play football unless they study and, and whatnot. So it's a bit of a trade-off because they obviously love playing footy, but they don't yeah. get to do it if they don't study, et cetera, et cetera. And his mother was... That exp- literally seems like the whole junior college system in America. From yeah. what I know, my, like my, my sister studied in America. It's obviously not... It was at a proper university, but their education system is so screwed that like kids will come do the bare minimum just so they can keep playing football or keep playing a sport. And the piece of paper doesn't really matter for them as long as they can be busy doing something, playing something. If they can play for as long as they can... And go, oh, I've actually managed to get like these diplomas doing this. Mm. Like they that's all they that's all they care about. I think like the it's just it's crazy how um, you know, you, if you get picked up by these, you know, these big universities or colleges or whatever, you you get your full ride, you get your accommodation, whatever. The junior college is I guess, you know, you could compare it to a kind of TAFE or something here, but um, you know, there's kids driving two hours that are, you know, they still got to work. They're half of them are unemployed. There's one, there's one kid. I've watched the first two episodes. There's one kid is like 23 or something. And he's got two kids. With, <laughs> um, and he, at one of the trainings, he just like, he's running onto the field in all of his gear, pushing his two girls in this stroller. And he's like, just sit there. I'll be back in like an hour. And they're just in the stroller watching their dad train. And then he has to go home. It's this like, I don't I, I really, really, thoroughly enjoy this series um and it's a big big recommended watch for me um, you yeah, know it sounds good so what was it called sorry last chance you mm. um so you being the letter um 
on Netflix that has been. It doesn't really ever come off, um, so it's pretty accessible. Um, that's the Australian Netflix for all you piracy people. Um, but yeah, I think I'm really I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, there's another school lined up um, in the future, you know, post COVID. But I'm looking forward to this season because it's a big change from having two previous schools and coaches that are, you know, real hard at it and all they know is yelling um, and screaming and you know discipline. And this season's a little bit different. It's got a real different um, kind of vibe to it in the first two episodes anyway. So got, got another. Know, eight episodes to go and I'll smash them out and um, yeah thoroughly thoroughly looking forward to it yeah we, we sort of have you know um, performance pathways that are similar ish but not never tied into an academic program you know we've got no. you know the, the NAB league for our football yeah, for yeah. example um, and and you know you, you see that coaches have you know such an important role in um, what was it I think it was the last dance there was a really lovely Will, are you there? Oh, there you are. Um, yeah. There, there was a really lovely moment in the last dance where the guy's name escapes me, but the long-time uh, head coach of North uh, North Carolina's basketball team, and there was this bit where it didn't matter that um, James Worthy played for North Carolina, like absolute Hall of Fame legend with the LA Lakers, obviously Michael Jordan, however many other great NBA players came through the program. When... I think it was when he died, this head coach of North Carolina, when he died, in his will, he left like, I think it was like each each of these players, they got $100 in his will. Mm. And, and the idea being that they could go out and have dinner, like on him. Yeah. Because he wasn't just he wasn't just a coach, he wasn't just you know, head of the basketball program or whatever. For a lot of these guys, going away to this program, into these dorms, into this school, so far from home, um, you know, they have a, a pretty big role to play in hopefully getting these guys on the straight and narrow and giving them an opportunity they otherwise wouldn't have. So, um, mm. you know, not just to be a basketball player or a football player or whatever, but, um, yeah, to sort of get their life tracking in a in a positive direction. Mm. Oh, it sounds very interesting. Hmm, that might be the yeah. first legitimate pick of your entire catalogue. <laughs> I really mean that. It might be the first, like, genuine, oh, that actually sounds worth checking out. Wow. As John McLean said, welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> well, I see where I land. <laughs> we're going to go from changing gears massively, your number three, I think that was, yep. to my number three. So Timbo, um, Tim Davis, who I do the Ian Prendercast Carlton podcast with, sent us a shout-out to, uh, to Tim, sent us a photo from a Dodgers game, I think it was, where obviously the baseball and, and all those American sports at the moment, like us, don't have any fans. There was a, you know, cardboard cutouts behind home plate and in the bleachers and the like. And there was a picture doing the rounds of this Dodgers game of um, weekend at Bernie's sitting behind home plate, the cutout of, you know, the famous Bernie, the dead guy from weekend at Bernie's. Yeah. And he sent it throughout a bit of a chuckle. And then I thought, you know what? I've never seen this film. I've never seen yeah. weekend at Bernie's. And, you know, for someone my age growing up, like in the mid nineties, like, Weekend at Bernie's was a, a running gag. Like, it was a really famous concept, a really famous movie, you know, whether it deserved to be or not. Like, it was. This idea that mm-hmm. this dead man, two idiots are pretending that he's alive and blah, blah, But I'd never seen the film. I knew all about it, knew it inside out, knew that all the jokes, knew its place in pop culture, never seen it. That changed because yeah. I sat down and watched it. And you know what? Like, 
it's actually not terrible. It's not good, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But in its, but it's not bad. Well, Tim was funny. He asked his eldest son, he goes, would he, you know, would, I think he's 11 or 12. He goes, look, would he, would it be right for him? What would he get out of it? And I said, that's a really interesting philosophical question because for people like my age, older, like this sort of humour, like we get it, we're exposed to it. A lot of films were made with this sort of silly slapstick, high farce, nonsensical plot. Like a lot of films were made that fit this mould. Really yeah. broad strokes comedy. Everything's played really large. Like the whole concept that people aren't, don't realise this guy's dead. Like mm. you have to accept that. I was like, it'd be interesting if kids now would actually buy the premise of this extraordinary, like this implausible, nonsensical bullshit. And like in a lot of ways, um, I think it's hard to describe. Cinema wants you to suspend disbelief. Like cinema just, I spoke about it earlier with an American pickle. The guy falls in a vat of brine and he's preserved for a hundred years. Nonsensical, pure bullshit, whatever. But when you watch a film, no matter what that film is, and to whatever degree the film asks of you, you do suspend disbelief. So uh-huh. Weekend at Bernie's absolutely does that. And I suppose you just got to have to pay it the courtesy <laughs> of giving it a pass. Cause like the science has been done to death. Like he decompose and like, you know, his bowel, his muscles would, would relax and he'd shit himself and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. when you actually give yourself over, what's the premise? This guy, you know, he's, a, he's an uh, insurance broker. These two young kids want to make it big and climb the corporate ladder and uh, basically uncover a $2 million black hole. They go to uh, Bernie, the boss, Bernie Lomax and, you know, thinking, oh, we've uncovered this. He's going to be wrapped. He's going to be thrilled that we're bringing to him this era, $2 million black hole, this insurance fraud. He's going to be thrilled. No, well, clearly he's in on the insurance fraud and basically sort of says to the kids, okay, come with me, come with me up to my beautiful beachside house in the Hamptons over the weekend and we'll figure this out. We'll go through all the numbers. And they're sitting there thinking, oh, fantastic. This is going to be great. It's going to be our opportunity to, as I said, climb the corporate ladder. This is us winning. Fantastic. Great result. Bernie goes to his partners and says, look, someone's uncovered it. We're going to have to take these kids out. We're going to have to get rid of them. Script is flipped. His partners say, no, we're going to have to take him out. He's getting lazy, etc." This happens like 33 minutes into the film. I was surprised. Like they actually gave this plot a bit of time to breathe. I, I pushed the time code and I was like, oh, it's actually 33 minutes of like an 88 minute film or whatever it is. I was like, yeah. or 90, sorry, 98 minute film. I was like, that's like a third of the movie. That's a pretty decent chunk of this movie dedicated to setting it up like legitimately laying the platform for this is what's happening these are the stakes this is why it's happening blah 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 here's the spanner in the works those guys come they kill bernie and then i think it's like long weekend or labor day or something anyway they do the classic 80s fake it till you make it you know we'll keep this guy alive and if we keep him alive you know maybe i can get the girl and blah 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 and look like i said it's by no means good but in its own 80s way, it's kind of all right. And I can completely understand, having seen it now, why it occupied the place in pop culture that it did and kind of still does, to be mm. brutally honest. Like, you know, let's be real. Yeah. It's, it's still something that if you say Weekend at Bernie's, people know what the film is. There have been plenty of better yeah. films that no one has mm. any idea what they're about, what the concept is, etc. So you've got to give it credit where it's due, but... Yeah, like I said, I mean, 
it kind of feels like a bit of a delayed, like a holdover from a previous era. Like this is mm. this is a sort of film like this vaudevillian, high farce, high concept, like Mr. Bean, you know, stuff that is so ludicrous but people find so funny. And you go, well, something like Mr. Bean probably wouldn't work today either, really. No, it's kind of, yeah, there'd be a lot of people getting bored. I think I would probably be one of the last kind of generations that really yeah. get Mr. Bean. Exactly right. So you sit there and go, it's very unlikely that, like even something like Russell Coit came out a bit later than that again. And you're like, this is sort of the last dance for this kind of silly bullshit that absolutely yeah. has its place and a certain generation found funny, but then people grow up out of. But yeah, Weekend at Bernie's, as I said, I thought, you know what? I'm going to watch it. I've never seen it. Yeah. One of those films we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, like Rounders, where you see it on the video store <laughs> shelf. Rounders. You know, you see it on the shelf forever and you've never seen it. You hear people talk mm-hmm. about it forever and you've never seen it. I thought, you know what? I'm going to see it. That's it. I'm going to watch it. Let's go. And it was okay. Mm. It was okay. I was pleasantly surprised. So lukewarm, but at the same time, being of that generation, I think I was just about um, just about in the wheelhouse enough to kind of give it a pass. But, yeah, not bad. Right. Okay. Oh, yeah, I've, I mean, I'm kind of like you as well. I understand the significance of it, and I've seen little clips here and there, but I've never actually watched the whole movie. Um, but... I guess it's just one of those things again where if it's there, I might watch it. Um, it's just a it's curiosity. Like, yeah, I I, it's it's worth yeah. watching as a curiosity to be like, this was a relatively big deal relative to what it was. Mm. It took on this life of its own beyond the actual film. It was actually funny, um, before I forget, one of the main guys, um, his name escapes me, the actor, um, the guy that wasn't in Pretty in Pink, but... I'm sitting there watching watching it and I'm going, this guy's really familiar. Like, yeah. where do I know this guy from? And, you know, rather than look up IMDb, I was like, I can get it. I can figure <laughs> this out. Where have I seen him? And it took me a couple minutes. But then I went, oh, my God. He played, in the movie I mentioned earlier that I also watched this week, Little Big League, he played Jim Bowers, the, like, kooky relief pitcher in Little Big League. And I was like, it's Jim Bowers, yes. <laughs> yes, I know it. And that's what led me to watch. I was like, you know what? I mean, watching baseball movies, I watch Little Big League as well. Yeah. Jim Bowers, awesome. what a classic. Hmm. Um, well, I guess, yeah, it's, it's such a, I guess, iconic movie that I, yeah, I, I mean, again, but I think I'm just, just a bit too young for like, you're kind of you're kind of still in there where you can have you can understand that. Was I'm the generation below you? Are you a generation? Yeah, I'd be a generation below you. I think. Yeah. Um, where I probably unless if you don't watch a lot of movies, you kind of wouldn't understand it. But I think I would need to at some point in my life. See, what what is your opinion? What's your opinion of stuff like Ace Ventura? I personally love. Yeah, see, I love Ace Ventura. I love, I, I love Jim. I love Jim Carrey. But, but there's a lot of people in my age group that don't. A lot of people don't like him. Exactly right. So you go even you go further than that back again. I don't really like stuff like The Naked Gun. That was a huge deal. It was real popular. You know when that was mm. coming out, and then you got stuff like, um, what's another example? I just had it. Uh, like even this is a he was a popular guy, but stuff like. Um, I remember seeing, I think Carlton did a thing where Mark Murphy was 
was doing a bit with um, a couple of the younger players. And, yeah. and and Murph like joked. I I sort of I was like because we're the same age. I was like I totally get where you're coming from, Murph. He was talking about how like he loves Adam Sandler movies, like classic '90s Adam Sandler yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, but he goes, none of the young guys know know any of the lines. None of them none of them nah. have seen them. You know, it's not that they don't like them, but it's like none of them have seen all the old movies I like. And I was like, no, I totally get exactly. it. Exactly. Like totally get it. Hmm. <laughs> What's your uh, number four well, for this week? My number four uh, is a game that I guess attests to the term "timing is everything." Um, mm. It's a game that's been released. It got released on the fourth of August um, on Windows, um, so like Steam, uh, which you obviously play PC games through, um, and PlayStation. So it's free on the PlayStation Store. Um, it's under like the PlayStation Plus kind of free game a month, whatever. But it's kind of paving the way for the future of, I think, how games are going to be released. Um, Fortnite kind of started it, but this will well and truly, I think, kill Fortnite and take the kids away from Fortnite. It's called, it's called Fall Guys Ultimate Knockout. Um, it is one of the most simple games I, I have played in my life. Um, you're literally... A, a, like a bean with legs and you're running through this <laughs> obstacle course. It's like a last man standing obstacle race type thing. Of all the things um, I expected you to it, say, you're, you're basically a bean man with <laughs> legs. <laughs> Legit though. It's like, it's full of bright colors and funny sounds and like very, very safe for all ages. Um, but it has taken the world by storm because what it's done luckily has, it's overtaken like COD in the last, I guess, couple months because of lockdown has just been so huge. Um, obviously, being Warzone, and unfortunately, they have had this glitch on PC where all the biggest, like all the biggest streamers, play on PC. Um, really? And there's been yeah, yeah, essentially, there's a couple, you know, a small, small handful that play on um, on console, but just because I guess. I don't know why, but PC is kind of, I guess, the master race. Um, but they've had this glitch where you pick up a certain gun in COD and there's this, like, it's just like, like the graphics are all distorted and you basically can't see. So the game becomes unplayable. Um, oh no, Will dropped out on us again. Started playing it. Um, and it's just gone up and up and up and more and more people are playing it. It's averaging per day, um, like 300,000 concurrent viewers um, or um, viewers at the one time on Twitch, which is fucking unreal. Like Fortnite at its peak probably had uh, maybe mid-400s. Mid um, and for a game that's been out for two weeks, averaging 300 viewers on its first thing, and it's, it's got a battle pass. Like a lot of the current games, it's got a store where you can buy, where you can, you know, do the microtransactions. Um, it's a simple, simple game, but it's getting the biggest, the biggest streamers and the biggest content creators on it. And the people that made it, uh, the company is Mediatonic, um, published by Devolver Digital. But they would just be, like, they'd be loving it. They would be making so much money in the next month. It is unreal. Did you um, describe what is the game? Did I have a stroke and I missed this? 
It's no, it's literally just an obstacle last okay. man standing game. Okay. It's like you, I think it's 60 people at the start and whoever is left at the end wins it, obviously. Um, but the first couple of rounds are like, you know, races through these courses where you have to pick a door and make it through or whatever. Um, and then the end is kind of, there's, you can, then you can party up. So I can grab three of my mates and play it. And then because the second half of the kind of, um, competition is a lot of team-based stuff so if you can get your team in then you'll have a chance to win at the end um and you all reap the rewards of, of winning the like it's literally a crown at the end that you, that you win um it's yeah it's unbelievably simple and it's uh i don't know how or why but it is a very addictive game that is bringing taking people away from cod sounds like it's and, got a bit of the nintendo dna oh it's it's got like it's got Nintendo sort of game written all over it, but it's um, it was it was announced last year, um, but it's got and it didn't have you know a huge amount of hype, but obviously there's a little there's some smart marketing behind it where they've got um, they've got some big content creators to play it, and it's and it's it's reaping the rewards now, and it will for the next couple of months, I would think. Um, like anyone can play it; it's free. All it takes is microtransactions. Um, the battle pass is free as well, which um, which is different. A lot of games that you play, the battle pass you have to pay for. But um, Fall Guys Ultimate Knockout, um, yeah, it's got it's got like a what's this on Steam? It's got a seven out of ten, um, and I think it's twenty bucks um, on Steam, but it's free on PlayStation. So yeah, it's it's weird how kind of things happen like this with games. Um, it takes kind of a couple of days of YouTubers plugging it and then like the biggest the ones the youtubers that make all the money off Fortnite and stuff and get that young viewership they're moving into four guys so it's only it's only going to get bigger like there's no way this will not be big for the next couple months um to the point where you you might even see it in your little bubble of gaming and youtube and whatnot um but yeah it's simple it's fun to our listeners, if you have kids, it's so safe. Um, and it's not overly hard either. Um, but it gets, you know, it gets grown men thinking about it and excited and furious and happy. And um, any video on YouTube pops on it because it's hilarious. So, cool guys, ultimate knockout. Um, I would give it, you know, seven or eight out of ten um, for such a simple game. It just works. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. And, like, there's not even, like, even controls. There's, you obviously, directional running, um, and then there's jump, dive, and, like, grab. So you can, like, grab people, hold them back, dive across a gap, and then normal jump where you can jump over something. But, like, it's, it's, weir- it's so weird how it's so simple, yet so addictive and... Like, all that? you want to do is try and win. It's that evolution, man. It's that evolution we spoke about with, like, movies potentially getting shorter after getting really bloated. Games get big and they get so expansive and they get so impressive and in-depth and whatever that, as a release, people want the complete inverse of that. It is the complete opposite of COD, but you've got all these first-person shooter YouTubers and streamers just going nuts over it. Because people crazy. are like, it's honestly crazy. That frenetic, that like the nature, whether it be COD or even 
you know, that Ghost of Tsushima or um, Red Dead, those really in-depth, open-world, sprawling games. Unbelievable. Triumphs. Who could have possibly predicted, you know, 30 years ago that stuff like this would happen? But at the same time, those games that Nintendo cut their teeth on, there's a reason they keep releasing, you know, variants of Mario Kart or variants of Mm. even, even something like Animal Crossing is a big deal. But those sort of relatively simple, very well executed um, games. Like, they work, they have a market, they have an audience because people people want the release. Mm. Just, um, yeah, I don't know how or why, but, you know, everyone's given it rave reviews. It's got a 4.5 on Google. Um, it's, yeah, they've just, they've killed it. They've absolutely killed it. Very good, very good. So what would you give it out of uh, 10? I'd give it a 7.5, 8 out of 10. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. It just needs to occupy you for long enough for something else to come along and take its place. Exactly. Like, COD is so enraging that this is a good let-off. It's like, it's you're not sitting there sweating like you are in COD. You're just, like, having fun. Oh, you don't man. have to put your headphones on and talk to anyone. You can just kill half an hour to an hour. It's awesome. All those games are so intense, so intense. <laughs> uh, well, very good. My um, my last pick of this week is something that I went back and revisited for the first time in full in quite a long time. We spoke relatively recently on another edition of this about sort of going, you know, and this is once again how things evolve, that when, when iTunes launches, the beauty of iTunes is you can buy just the songs you want off an album and you just listen to those songs. That You yourself had said this, and I echoed it, you know, I really like going back now and listening to whole albums for the first time in a long time. And I went back and did that with uh, Blink-182's 2003 untitled album, um, which I've always liked. I've always liked, you know, quite a few songs off it, but given the way we consume media, let alone music these days, with playlists and shuffle and all that kind of stuff, you very rarely listen to an album from go to woe, stop to start, all the way through, and yeah. this is a masterpiece. And, I, and I'm like, I'm a big fan of the band, and, and to varying degrees, like pretty much everything they do, whether it be them or spin-offs of them and the like, because clearly I like their sound. But this album is, it is so good, like it's so extraordinarily good that, mm. it, it, as a fan of them, it kind of frustrates me that. 17 years after it was released, it probably doesn't get the credit it deserves. And I'm not sure why that is, whether or not it's down to the reputation of them as, you know, silly, vulgar idiots or the like. But this is a genuinely, genuinely brilliant album. And it's kind of like the exclamation mark on a genre of music that they picked up the baton of, but sort of perfected their pop-punk radio-friendly stuff, which... You know, The Offspring did it. Um, obviously, Sum 41 would do it. Simple Plan, Fallout Boy, all those bands, whatever. No one did it as well as they did. And then mm. they just, as I said, put the exclamation mark on the whole genre, on that whole era with this album. It's a little bit heavier. It's a little bit darker, a little bit more complex. But at the same time, it's just so good. And, and like, mm. I don't know, I don't know if it's because... You know, with films, I've always had the opinion that um, that the best examples I can give is Ocean's Eleven comes out in 2001 and is an awesome movie. People love it. 
we'll make another yeah. one. And everyone goes, great, I'd love, and love you to make another one of these movies. First one was fantastic. So Steven Soderbergh, shout out to Steven, basically <laughs> decides, yeah, yeah, we'll do another one, but I don't want it to be exactly like the first one. We'll be a different movie. So he makes Ocean's 12. And then people go and see Ocean's 12 and it's not what they expected. It's not what they wanted. It's not that it's bad, yeah. but it's not the sort of film that they wanted it to be. You know, Temple of Doom, Raiders mm. of Lost Ark comes out, brilliant movie. We'll make another one, fantastic. But we're not just going to remake that. We'll make a different movie. So they make Temple of Doom and it's not what people expected. It's not what they wanted it to be. <laughs> so therefore, oh, I don't know if I really like this. And then in both those cases, they come out, Ocean's 13 is a lot more like Ocean's 11 and then Last Crusade is a lot more like Raiders and people go, oh, there it is, that's what I liked. And you're going, it's not that those other films were bad. In fact, Ocean's 12 is really good. Temple of Doom is really good. But but it's different. People are like, oh, I wanted it to sound more like your other album sounded. And you're like, well, if you listen to them, there is a very linear, a very noticeable progression and evolution toward this style. And it's absolutely brilliant. Like... It was actually funny re-listening to it. I was sort of, I remember where I bought it. I bought it from Eastland, JB Hi-Fi. Very exciting <laughs> yeah. to get it and put it in the car. Um, like feeling this, which when I first heard it was called Action and it was the title song on Madden 2004 and was one mm. of the reasons I bought that game so I could hear this song. <laughs> um, yeah. And then they didn't know it wasn't called Action. It was called Feeling This. It was like an amazing song. The bridge and the outro is phenomenal. Obvious is a great song. I Miss You is a great song. Violence is outstanding. Stockholm Syndrome's good. Down, which um, uh, Terry Crews is in the video for Down. Down's a really good song. <laughs> really? He is, absolutely. Goes a good song. Asthenia is one of my favourite Blink-182 songs. Always is absolutely an outstanding track. It's like The Cure. It's just a brilliant okay. track. Easy Target's brilliant. All of this, which actually features Robert Smith from The Cure, is a beautiful song. Here's Your Letter's great. I'm Lost Without You is probably the weakest song on the album. It's the last song. But you look at it and go, off the f- this, legitimately there's, there's 14 tracks. There's only really 13 songs because one of them's a musical interlude. But I was listening to it. I was like, yeah. there's no fat on this album. There's no wasted tracks. There's no bloated nonsense. Each one of these songs has something excellent in them. Some of the songs themselves are excellent in totality. Um and it was just so much fun to go back and listen to this album all the way through in one sitting for the first time in quite a long time. Having heard, like, I listened to Always a Fair Bit, Asthenia, Feeling This, etc. But to go back and listen to it all the way through, you know, 17 years after its release, it is an absolute cracker of an album. And mm. it made me think my favourite Blink-182 album is probably uh, Take Off Your Pants, which was the one before. But yeah. this is the best. This is their best album. Like, very comfortably. And it was an absolute ah, treat. Cool. Oh, cool. It was an absolute treat to go back and, and listen to it again and just go, that's kind of where, for me at least, um, shortly after when they were touring, this, this came out in late 2003. Um, they toured in 2004 and early 2005. Uh, I saw them on tour twice. They came out here, I think, how did it work? I reckon they came here and I saw them and then I think Travis broke his foot partway through the tour so they had to cancel the rest of the tour and they ended up coming back and just doing the whole tour again. So I actually got, saw them twice. Um, and then obviously they, they broke up. They broke up for quite a few years. For me, 
like this is kind of where it ended. As much as yeah. I, I've got, I've, as much as I, I don't mind parts of neighborhoods, which Tom did, and um, dogs eating dogs, which was an EP, which was which wasn't bad. Um, California was all right. Nine was okay, but like this is sort of the end of that great era of music that they made, and it was fantastic to go back and and listen to it again and enjoy it um, perhaps more than I ever have. So massive Ooh. shout out! Absolutely loved it. Um, and you can do a lot worse than chuck on um, one of the great bands of their era sort of perfecting their genre, really. Mm. Mm. Well, I mean, I, yeah, Blink-182 um, was kind of early, early for me in the way of, you know, finding my own taste in music. Um, my sister was a bit of a some 41 fan. Um, they, got, they got some good tracks. They got some good tracks. Some 40, yeah, I, I've always liked some 41. Um, but yeah, I, and then I kind of found Blink-182 through some 41. Um, but yeah, early days, Blink-182, awesome. Um, I will, I guess I have so much free time, it's ridiculous. So I think I might endeavour to do this as well. Um, a few more albums kind of start to finish. Um, might, and yeah, I, Definitely will at some point over the next couple of days probably go on a little Blink One Eight Two binge after this. I've just been I've been looking at the Wikipedia and just seeing songs that I love. Um, so I think that's the thing. Like you yeah. get in that mold where being a big fan, like I'm not surprised. Like you listen to the album and you go like, as I'm sitting there listening to it, I know the track list. Like I know what songs coming. Yeah. But you sit there and you listen to it and you you get like halfway through, and you're like. This is brilliant, and probably my three favorite tracks on the album haven't even come yet. <laughs> like this is great. Yeah, like like violence, violence is is so. Um, it's probably got the best Travis Barker drum solo of any of the Blink One Eight Two songs. Not now, maybe, but not now is a like a B side. It's not an official track. It was on their greatest hits. Yeah. But like violence is awesome. Like I said, Asthenia is unbelievably good. Always, I just love Always to Death. Um, it's just a perfect, like we spoke about, you know, I went through a few weeks speaking about John Hughes and it's just the perfect, like, John Hughes movie film just written 15 mm. years after, you know, his yeah. heyday. It's just, it's such a good album, such a good album and it was so, yeah, it was so pleasing to go back and listen to it again and as I said, love it, just love it to death and be like, yeah, no, this is great. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Mm. Awesome. So what does that make your pick of the week, Will? Um, my pick of the week will be as much as I loved Last Chance You and then as much as I do love it, um, just by the fact of how it's just taken them the gaming world by storm, I'm gonna have to pick Fall Guys. Oh, I knew you so, were gonna do that. You gave Last Chance You a big wrap up, you gave it a you know and you've just betrayed it. Yeah, but I like I know how much I love it and this is this game has just surprised me though. It's like it's crazy how simple it is, yet how how it's probably going to like make way for so many games like it where they're made for kids, but grown men play it. Um, That's gaming like, in general, hate, isn't it? Honestly, uh, you know, there's some games which, you know, horror games and shoot games and gory games and whatnot. GTA, you know, it's got MA rating or R18 rating or whatever. You're only as young. Um, you're sorry. You're only as old as you're prepared to let yourself be. But like, I'm at the point where if I play this game and I get walked in on playing this game, I'm probably going to get looks of like, what are you playing? Like, why? 
are you playing this little colourful game with little beans that go wee, wee, wee? Like, oh, I can't even explain it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not yeah, even going to try. Gonna go, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but Judge yeah, me. guys, ultimate knockout. That's my pick of the week. Excellent. My pick of the week is uh, 61 with the asterisk. It is, it is just a great film. And, and, and like I said, I mean, don't want to labour the point, but, you know, baseball is a sport. Um, just makes for really good movies, and this is a really great story told brilliantly. Billy Crystal directs the hell out of it. Um, Barry Pepper's fantastic as Roger Maris, and um, it's just a film that deserves to be seen by more people who either, as I said, love sports movies, love baseball movies. Um, it's, if you haven't seen it, you absolutely need to go and watch it because it's a really, really great little film that um, has lived off Broadway now for nearly 20 years. It's just terrific. So I can't recommend it anymore. I love it to death. Excellent pick. Excellent pick, I thought um, as well. Yeah. Well, I, uh, when we move on to the uh, plugging for our Twitter, I got hacked during the week. What? Yeah, someone from, someone from Singapore tried to get my details. So I had to change a couple of passwords. I had to change my password and something else that they made me change. But um, They broke in, tried yeah, to steal your identity yeah. and said it's not worth it. They, you know, that, that handle, it's popular, and I've taken it all. Every, every <laughs> single social platform, I've got it. So uh, you can find me at Willie P, 2L2Y, 2P's, 2E's. That's on all platforms. All, literally any platform, I'll be there. Hook him up if you want to play. Bebo. If you want to play on MySpace and Friendster. Um, if you want to play, <laughs> what's the game? I keep forgetting what it's called. Fall Guys. Fall Ultimate Guys. Knockout. Ultimate Knockout, you can find Will on the PSN network as well. Yeah, Willie P, two L, two I, two P's, two E. Uh, and I'm sure Peter Budge, all one word, no silliness, spelt as you expect. Um, I think that wraps us up for another week, Will. Lovely. We had some technical Lovely. glitches, but we figured out, oh, for whatever yeah. reason... Um, Painful. Well, for whatever reason, the phone call was you know, a really minor bit in the middle, but otherwise has been pretty good, so... Not sure. Must just be a bit of a FaceTime error at the moment, which is worth. I think the video just takes too much internet while the whole of Victoria is on it. So no. I think we might just do a voice from now on. No, I think you're absolutely spot on. But no, look, thank you very much for listening in. Um, if you do enjoy anything we speak about or have a recommendation for us, hit us up on the Twitter, and um, please do. We'll uh, we'll go from there. But no, thank you very much. We'll catch you next week. Been a pleasure. Goodbye. Bye.